Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Rethinking H2O podcast. Today on the show, we have Miranda and Baptiste Paul. Miranda and Baptiste are both authors by trade with a passion to educate and help make the world a better place. Miranda is a native of Green Bay, Wisconsin, and has always had a passion for water. She is the author of a children's book called Water is Water. Her husband, Baptiste, is a native of St. Lucia and a fellow author of a book called The Field. Together, they are working on a new book called I Am Farmer that hopes to educate youth about the importance of farm culture and the role of water in our lives. We hope you enjoy listening, and now here is your host, Kevin Sophie. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Rethinking H2O podcast. Today, we're really excited. We have Miranda and Baptiste Paul. Miranda and Baptiste, how are you doing today? Excited to have you here. We're excited to be here. Great. Thank you for having us. Great. And so where, where are you guys today? Green Bay, Wisconsin. Oh, the home of the Green Bay Packers. Gotta love it. <laughs> That's what we're known for. Yep. We also have a lot of water here, a big lake. <laughs> there, yeah, what is everywhere here? Yeah. yeah, the home. We're right in the heart of the Great Lake Country. Mm-hmm. Yes, it is. Yeah, and I'm I'm right in Chicago, which is also shares Lake Michigan, which I know there's there's, there's a lot of uh, shared water issues. Whether it's some of the runoff that happens with some of the farming there, there's a lot of the water extraction. Some cities trying to take a lot of water that are not necessarily close to the water and. So a lot of kind of cross-state water issues even here just within Lake Michigan. Mm-hmm. Yep. So tell me a little bit about you, I've I've followed you guys for quite some time with some of the work you're the the work you're doing from an author standpoint and then some of the international work. But to give us a little bit of a background about both of yourselves, can you maybe give a little bit tell tell me about sort of your history of sort of how you got into writing books and and some of the the work that you've done uh, in the past. Sure. Our histories are a little different. So I'll let Baptiste, who's slightly older than me, start. He (laughs) he technically entered the world a couple years before I did. I'll let Baptiste go first. I was born and raised on the island of St. Lucia in the Caribbean. And um, access to water was always a challenge. Even though I grew up in the rainforest, getting, uh, getting clean water was always a problem. You know, I was just telling Miranda just before we came on that um, I remember my parents had this, like, cement tank, and they um, dropped, like, chlorine tablets in there. But you could always see the little mosquito larvae swimming on the bottom of the, of, uh, of the tank. And sometimes that's where we got the water from in the, rain, in the rainy season. But in the dry season, we had to hike down to the river with buckets on our head on our heads as children carrying water every single day for drinking, cooking, and cleaning. Wow. Yeah, and um, for me, I grew up with, surrounded by fresh water. I grew up in Green Bay, and water to me was, uh, if you swallowed some lake water, oh, that's fine, you'll be fine. Maybe you'll get some diarrhea if it's a small pond or a lake. But, um, you know, I grew up with it all around, and access to it was so incredible. We'd have water fights in the yard as a, as a fun thing to do. It was just seemed like this limitless, limitless supply. Um, it wasn't until I was in high school when some kids from one of the neighboring high schools um, started a campaign because some of the mining companies were polluting some of the rivers in northern Wisconsin. And once I learned more about how this beautiful water all around me was being um, tainted, 
then I got sort of involved in this as a as activism or a political issue. When I was in college, then I went to school out in Maryland. Literally, I could see the water, the St. Mary's River, which flows into the Chesapeake from my dorm room. And I just felt a little bit at home. Uh, so when I went to the Gambia as a teacher, at the end of my teacher training, I went to the Gambia uh, to start a teaching program there, and I didn't have water. I didn't have running water. I had to walk far to a public tap to get treated water, and even that water, uh, we were told to put bleach in it. I actually had to put drops of bleach into my water um, before I could drink it. Um, just carrying it far, looking at the lack of access, getting very, very sick, even despite all of these measures that I took to try and um, have clean water. I realized that the place that I was living at that time and the place that I had grown up was night and day in terms of access to fresh water. And I thought, wow, the people here who are very vibrant, very knowledgeable about their culture and their environment suffer from a lack of access to water that consumes so much of their time that when we say, oh, this is a developing nation or people are behind one another, mm -hmm. really the amount of time spent on getting things you need to survive, such as water, was the big issue in terms of progress or lack of progress being made. It's a challenge. Mm -hmm. Yeah, in the Midwest, I mean, we're so fortunate and blessed with the Great Lakes to where access to water really isn't the biggest issue here. I mean, we've got other water issues, whether it's runoff or mining pollution and things like that. But you experience firsthand, both Baptiste and Miranda, when you're in the Gambia, of like, there's not that luxury of just turning on the tap and having water here. I actually have to go spend one to three hours just getting water to start my day to do the other stuff, which then, I mean, there's a whole range of issues, whether that's the the the, the, the strain that takes on your body, the emotional impact that it takes from you still have to kind of treat the water to then you're not spending that time doing other things where you could be doing. So a whole cascading set of issues that go into not having water close by that's sort of a drain on on everyone in the community. Yeah, and it's all about um, the infrastructure as well. If some of the some of the places do have the infrastructure, and I recall while um, you know while I was growing up when um, they started running you know pipes under the streets to um, to um, to run water into people's homes and and when it rained and there was a storm, a really nasty storm. It just washes everything away, and then you're at the mercy of aid organizations, the government, to drive like huge um, tanks of water to the villages and the communities. Sometimes getting to those villages, access was completely cut off because the bridge got washed away, or or on the water that those tanks carried was just not safe for people to drink, but people, you have to survive. You have to provide for your kids. You have to clean and cook, and you just drink the water and pray to pray to God or pray to the Almighty, whoever that is, that you don't die or you don't get sick. Yeah, and the infrastructure is a big issue. I mean, whether that's in some of these other developing world nations where the infrastructure was insufficient, and then when post-colonial governments came in, then didn't really invest the money that was needed, and then there's even a bigger gap. And then even looking in America, there's infrastructure that was built in the early 90s for cities that were pretty small, and then now it, these cities have been growing fast, and investing in the infrastructure, or at least pipes underground, isn't the sexiest thing that many people talk about, but it's 
pretty important when you're looking at how we can provide adequate services for people to be able to effectively get water and effectively go to the bathroom without having to worry about all these sanitation and hygiene issues. Mm-hmm. Well, and I think some of what we're talking about here feeds into what we write about or where we get ideas and what we're passionate about because one plastic bag, which is about IC2C, say, an environmentalist from the Gambia, is very much a grassroots environmentalist. And I really like to focus on grassroots efforts because they get change and needed materials or um, solutions to problems right down on the level that people need them. They can happen fairly fairly quickly. They can happen without a lot of resources, without a lot of paper pushing, um, and without a lot of outside influence. That is, the local people come up with the solution and often implement the solution. And I think that's where the book about Isatu Cisse or the book that's coming up about Farmer Tonto that we'll talk about really focus on that. Yes, we need big infrastructure, infrastructural changes, but in the meantime, people need clean water or our earth is suffering. And there are solutions that we can implement as individuals and as communities now. Mm-hmm. And I would agree. I think the most important thing is the proper solution for that specific community, not necessarily, hey, some guys standing in some boardroom in Chicago staring at a whiteboard thinking this is the best solution. Actually, the best solution is the best solution for that community. And that could be a a rainwater capture tank. That could be a permaculture farm. That could be a very small-scale individual water purifier. It could be some type of water distribution network. And it doesn't have to be millions of dollars. It can actually just be sort of maybe with a little bit of engineering and ingenuity and local resources with the proper partners that acknowledge there's a problem and are coming together to provide a solution, which it seems like now kind of parlaying into some of the work that I believe you had done, uh, is it in Cameroon or where, where, um, tell me a little bit about this farmer or Tonto and, and some of that story of your experiences, uh, abroad. Uh, farmer Tonto uh, has founded the Save Your Future Association. So there is a Cameroonian, um, organization as well as a USA, um, version of uh, that's a 501c3 and it's dedicated to not just providing clean water uh it's clean sustainable water on the grassroots level for many villages but also access to sustainable and organic farming and gardening practices because if you've got this clean water source that you're trying to maintain you want to make sure it stays clean so using organic and sustainable natural farming practices aren't going to contaminate the water in those places and so all of these solutions farmer tanto who founded this he goes in they they you know drill a well where they need to drill a well or they do you know a catchment a spring spring water catchment where they need to and then making sure the water the excess water is diverted back into the ecosystem they, he goes literally into each community talks with the community members figures mm-hmm. out sort of what the problem is what are the sources of that problem what are the possible solutions and how can everybody in the community be invested in that solution making sure that solution works for them works within the culture um, and that everybody takes has a stake in it so that it has a better chance of long-term viability everyone contribute contributes to his projects even the smallest child in the villages or the communities they will carry a, ro- a rock a bucket of sand they will help 
because he said to us that this is the only way that those things will be um, sustainable if everyone in the village pitches in because everyone has the same amount of stake invested in that project. Absolutely. And if you don't have that buy-in from the local community, then it's just going to break and not work after a couple months. Yeah. He's really good with the youth, and he's really good at education that doesn't feel like education. It usually just feels like a conversation. You know, he stops and he'll have a conversation for an hour, and they'll basically get a whole lesson on something, but it always felt like friendly conversation. Um, he is building an eco-lodge, which is sort of like what we have in Green Bay. We have like wildlife sanctuaries or education centers that kids can take field trips on. And this eco-village that he's building is in the city of Bamenda, just outside the city of Bamenda and in Cameroon. And that for him is sort of a way in. If kids don't know where their water comes from or about these issues, mm -hmm. they're never going to care enough about them to want to study them further, want to be involved in them. And so he's really, really big on getting the young people connected back to nature because in his lifetime, there's been a big exodus, so to speak, from the rural areas toward the cities and then often a brain drain, sort of people yeah. going to universities universities or studying things and wanting to study things that will get them ahead, such as office jobs or business jobs. And um, his focus is, why not a job connected to the land? Why not study agriculture? Why not study botany? Why not study these sciences, even though they may not be culturally viewed as progressive or popular or, <laughs> or, popular, or they may, you know, they view farmers as poor. Mm -hmm. um, and, and it might not be what a lot of people aspire to, but he's trying to change that at the grassroots level. And I think that's what we do and as I think, authors. And I think he's changing the mind of the minds of a lot of people with his grassroots organization as well. Because while we were out there, we saw local, um, the mayor, the mayor of one town, and everybody in the village is just rallied to him. Because when he was growing up, it was considered like dirt poor, or it was just unheard like for someone who's educated like him to want to have a farming job but right now people are warming up to that idea because his efforts have saved like tens of thousands of lives just access to clean water that's fantastic yeah, yeah. I, mean, I mean he's basically he's, he's doing this work on the ground lots of labor intensive work but he's also you know a, a philosopher of, of sorts <laughs> and and that's the sort of thing we want to support that we have written a picture book biography about his life and how he started this and how he formed these ideas learned what he's what he knows and what he's doing and this picture book biography is called I am farmer because what he did when he was in school and everybody made fun of him <laughs> in school for being asking all these questions about the weather and about the dirt and the soil you know everyone was laughing one day they started nicknaming him farmer but it was an insult you know it was like almost like spitting on someone and calling you farmer because it's it's a lowly thing um, he owned it he sewed the words farmer on his uniform shirt and wore it to his high school and he became known as farmer like he wow. uh, he just owned the name and so the name of the book is I am farmer um, because we're encouraging all kids to say hey all of us in some ways are farmers because we all reap what the earth sows and so we all have this responsibility to sort of take on that role at some point to be farmers so that book will come out in about ten and a half months 
it's being uh, illustrated by Elizabeth Zunan at the current moment. I love it. And I mean, I, I so many comments from that, but I mean, what I, what I liked that you said was the approaching the education that doesn't feel like education and, and particularly how to engage with the youth and making, go, trying to educate on a few things. One, where does our water come from? How do we get it? And two, farming is critical. Farmers feed the world. Without farmers, we wouldn't be able to do any of your normal life. And so I think I'd just like to maybe dive in a little bit in mean, your your educational approach with some of your previous books and this upcoming book on sort of what's some of your perspective and your own ph- philosophical take maybe on sort of the educational approach and how you're going about educating the youth, whether that's here in America or abroad, about these important issues. You want to talk about the field? I mean, you know, you're basically giving people a Creole lesson in your book about <laughs> soccer. I can show you briefly. Like, um, kind of this is my book that just came out um, on this on the sixth. This is my book, The Field, that just came out on the sixth. Okay. And it is set in Saint Lucia, and like Miranda was talking about, um, gives people just a lesson in Creole and language. For me, it's very important. Language plays a vital role. When I grew up, like Creole was the language that you can only use maybe at home or while playing, but it was not acceptable to use this in school. So just like Tanto, he goes out into the villages and he learns the different languages and he communicates with people in their own languages. So it's a lot more accepting that way. And it's very important that in order to capture the essence of someone and their culture, you need to understand their language first. And so this book, The Field, is literally just about kids who have a pickup game of soccer and they play through the rain and they get muddy and the integration of the Creole words is is just seamless. They're English, they're Creole, and there's a glossary in the back, but I don't think any kid would read this book, which is full of play and goal, as though it's something that's a lesson, like an educational lesson. I kind of hope that that's how all of my books feel. That's really the goal of me, is to somehow be in between that space of an educational book and a fun book that you would just buy for a gift for someone's birthday. That's, that's kind of the place I like to sit. Um, I have a book particularly dedicated to water. It's called Water is Water. It's a book of science, but it's also a book of poetry. It's a book of whimsy. Uh, it follows uh, 11 different ways that children interact with water throughout the four seasons. It's written in very sparse, just very spare text. It's a poem. And in the back, there's the explanation of all the big scientific words of what happened in the poem, um, but also a note about you know, with cool facts where, again, kids never think they're learning when we're doing this in school. <laughs> you know, I say, okay, well, do you think a baby's made out of water? And they're like, no. And I was like, well, remember, look at this. And I give them the stats about what percentage we are waters and worms and apples and snakes and turtles and everything they saw in this book. They learn that anything that's alive, even themselves and their teachers, is mostly made out of water. And they start to get how important it is that nothing would be alive 
if we didn't have it. And then we talk about how many billion people there are in the world and how much water is actually fresh water that we can use, that we can access, and how small that is. And they start to realize on a scale. And, and I'm usually letting them figure it out. I'm not just giving them the facts. And they start to just make those connections. And they're like, well, it's super important. We should conserve it. We should protect it. We want everyone to have some. Um, and they come to these conclusions themselves. We dance like water with the little kids, you know. These kinds of things all come from this, you know, poem that celebrates water in its many forms, and especially its recognizable forms to children. And that's sort of a way in. I sort of see that book as a way into talking about, before we can talk about aquifers or, um, you know, runoff and things like that, they just need to know water a little bit about it and that they love it. <laughs> That's fantastic. And I mean, it, it may be classified as a children's book on the surface, but I think it's really something that's a, it's a book for everyone because a lot of these things you're talking about, there's something that a lot, majority of America, majority of the world don't understand how water is truly embedded into every single thing we do, whether that's the pen I'm holding right now that went into the manufacturing and processing and the machine that makes it and the actual processing of this actual pen to the hidden water that's embedded into the infrastructure, the road that I drove on this morning. Or I actually did a little post this morning on the, or my Instagram of highlighting how many gallons of water it takes to produce one gallon of milk. I think it's around like 2,000 gallons of water to take to produce one gallon of milk. Mm. And you're like, what the heck? Like, how is that possible? It's like, well, when you dive into the food that the cows eat and then the processing of all the cows and all the, the maintaining all the cows and start adding up all these numbers and then you start looking at some of your lifestyle habits and you're like, wow, maybe maybe this is something I should pay more attention to. And that's what I find so inspiring about some of the work you're doing is that it's trying to make sense of something that may appear to be complicated, but it's actually just quite simple and it's water. And water is something that is connected to each and everything we do from the more second we wake up to the amount of energy that the amount of water it took to to produce the energy that's going into your computer and my computer to have this conversation right now via Skype, you know, there's so many angles of how water is embedded into truly every single interaction that we have. Yeah, it's really true. There's a line in the book "One Plastic Bag" that I wrote about Isotu's story, and it's it's really simple. It just says she knows too much to ignore it now. And that line is sort of the turning point of the book, is that once we know something, we have two choices. We can ignore it or we can do something. There's really not an in-between. And this is, I think, why I write for kids, is they don't see the same gray areas that adults try to make up. Mm -hmm. We try to make up a lot of gray areas to sort of justify what we do. Um, for kids, it's a little more concrete. Like, I see something, it's a problem and I want to try and solve it, and either I'm contributing to solving it, or I'm not. Love it. And that's, that's sort of just the line that I think pervades a lot of my work. It does, and my, one of my favorite quotes that inspires me every day is Albert Einstein, those who have the ability to know have the duty to act, and I think individuals like us have sort of had some more exposure than others, and it's sort of a ingrained into my soul to do something to help spread the knowledge about water. And then the other thing, which I love kind of commenting on what you just said, is that uh, they talk about this in the Freakonomics books, and their last book was Think Like a Freak, but it was also Think Like a Kid. And there's a lot of value in thinking like a kid and kind of taking some of your predisposed ideas of the world and actually just 
asking questions objectively, looking at something without a predisposed opinion about what the answer may be, and just asking questions, diving into something and, and saying, hey, why is this the way, that, why is this like this? How could we do something that might make a change or make a difference to, to help the lives of someone else? So, yeah, I, I love love some of the, I mean, the thought process you have with all that. And, I mean, I think that sort of education thing is something that I appreciate what you're doing. And, and so just a, a quick summary on the books. You said you've you've got, you both have your own book out. One is the, one is on soccer. The other one is on water is water. Uh, and the book that's coming out in 10 and a half months is, is, called, is called what? And when, how is that? Um, and when is that one, uh, or where, where can that one be found once it's available? Um, you know, I am Tamar. Through, Luna is the publisher based out of um, Minneapolis. And you can get it anywhere books are sold nationwide. Barnes and Nobles, Amazon, indie bookstores. Yeah. Yeah, so the title is I Am Farmer. There will most likely be a subtitle that says, like, the story of <laughs> Cameroonian environmentalist farmer for Botanto. You know, it'll, it'll be, um, you know, one of those long subtitles underneath the title. But the main title is I Am Farmer. It's by both of us, Miranda Paul and Baptiste Paul, published by Learner Books. And the beautiful illustrations, which Elizabeth we've just Zunon. seen the beginning of, yeah. are by award-winning illustrator Elizabeth Zunon. She also illustrated the picture book of The Boy Who Harnessed the Wind. If you're familiar with that book, uh, also one plastic bag, and a president from Hawaii. Okay. That's so when this comes out, and, and I saw the video you'd posted about Cameroon. Are you starting to try and parlay this into some more grassroots projects in the Cameroon, or how, what's the the sort of the thinking of how we can sort of help make this into a bigger impact, not here only here with education in America, but maybe some more funds and awareness for what's going on with some of the, the projects you have with, with the, what you got going in Cameroon? Absolutely. So when the book uh, launches, shortly after it launches in February, February 1st of 2019, we will be doing a book tour in many states, and Farmer Tonto himself is we'll flying here. to the United States to visit schools, churches, organizations, luncheon groups, anyone who wants to listen, um, and they'll be collecting donations for the Save Your Future Association, which is a 501c3, and though 100% of donations to SYFA will go to these projects in Cameroon. So these organic gardenings, this youth education, the clean water for different villages, um, and there will also be the availability for school kids to purchase the books um, at d discounts so that they can learn about what he's doing in Cameroon, what the ideas and why the ideas he's spreading are so important. Um, and so we hope to visit lots of schools. We've got several stops on the tour already booked um, in Washington, D.C., Connecticut, Wisconsin, Michigan. Michigan yeah. um, but we're open to more states. And so actively right now, the tour is being booked. If there's anybody who's listening who would like to jump in and be part of this in any way with your school or organization, you can easily contact the assistant, Judy Cooper, who is doing all of the arrangements for the tour. Her email is bookthepauls at gmail.com. So she can book us. And when you book us for that tour, actually Tonto will be there as well. So we'll be the trio going around educating <laughs> about water, 
we'll be talking about Cameroon. Uh, Tonto is a phenomenal speaker. He's always lively. I mean, he does this every day. He goes to different villages and rallies people. So cool. Well, and I I think that I'd love to try and help within Chicago. I've got some good connections here with different organizations. One in particular, there's a group called Current, and they're sort of a water tech accelerator, but also looking at doing different things to just engage with the community. And I think that we could definitely try and do something, some sort of community outreach event. I mean, they're hosting a big World Water Day next Thursday, where it's going to be sort of a, a panel discussion. So that might be an opportunity to Considering you're in the Midwest, I'd love to sort of help piggyback off doing something here in Chicago with that. And then maybe we've talked about this before, but are you are you familiar with Wallace J. Nichols and the whole Blue Mind book? No, I don't have it. Considering you're such a Blue Mind enthusiast yourself, uh, it's it's probably it was a book that changed my life more so really than anything. But he's truly a remarkable man, uh, Wallace J. Nichols. He's actually doing a new documentary, but his first book was called Blue Mind. Why Humans Are Happier, Healthier, More Productive When We Are On, In, Near, and Around Water. And a lot of those concepts really parlay nicely into everything you're talking about. So he's coming out with a new book at the end of this year, and I think he would be a great partner, and I'd be more than happy to introduce you, or you could reach out yourself to kind of continue this sort of uh, grassroots educational campaign to multiple aspects of of, of youth in different parts of society to get them thinking more about water in different ways. Mm-hmm. All right, well, Baptiste, you're going to be in Chicago next week. Yeah, actually, I'm, I'm going to be in Chicago starting on Wednesday through Friday. I'll be on a mini book tour and I'll be at Anderson's, Anderson's there as well and book signing on Wednesday evening as well. Awesome. Well, I- I might be able to see you on Wednesday night. If not, Thursday is World Water Day, and it's free to attend this event. There's all these different water panels. Um, I could send you information about it. I'm actually speaking on one of the panels about uh, disaster response water solutions, so I'd be more than happy to... Um, yeah, just send me that information, yeah. and I can see if I can try to um, come down to wherever you're, you're speaking at. Yeah, that would that would be awesome. And then I'm just sort of, a, I guess, the last sort of question I had with... Uh, maybe a possible collaboration between us was one you're doing some great things with this book coming out in Cameroon uh, responsible would love to try and utilize some of our uh, artisan craft bands and highlight them and sell them to have them benefit some of the I believe the foundation you talked about was the savior of the future is that the main yeah, sure? so what we could do is we could do something cool where we highlight some of the responsible bands and then kind of use that as a promotional it's a, piece that's at some of your book tours and even at some of these other events and online and proceeds from this can go towards the savior of the future to lead towards more of these projects in Cameroon but then also like I'm wearing the bands and I'd love to send you guys some it's sort of uh, an extension of the message just sort of a trinket for people to wear and kind of remind themselves like hey like maybe we should be responsible and think about ways that we're using water and ways that we can actually give back so we'd love to try and build a little bit of an awareness collaboration campaign with you to further accentuate some of the existing efforts you're already doing. You know, one of the important things that that I want um, our listeners to um, be aware of is that Tanto is just one guy. And the scale, we couldn't imagine or believe the scale and the extent to which he has changed people's lives. 
I mean tens of thousands of people mm-hmm. across villages, across Cameroon, and it's just one guy. Just imagine the power of more people like Tanto and what they could do to just better this world. Yeah. Couldn't agree more. I think you, you asked um, a question before we got on about why is education amongst youth on water so important? And I really thought about that because it seems so obvious when you've been in it for a while. Like it's important, water is important. But I think the reason, especially for youth, that it's the most important is because from all the science that I've read and people that I've consulted with, is we're not past the point of no return. We have the power to fix it and prevent further damage to ecosystems and to our water sources, including our oceans. Like we're not past the point of no return. We can fix it. And I think that education. Um, you know, I think about when I was growing up, we had this big, you know, keep America beautiful, put your litter, you know, don't don't just throw your litter everywhere campaign. And recycling campaigns in Wisconsin started fairly early and it worked. Education works. And so we're at the point that we have the power to fix it. We're not we still have the ability to bring to bring our earth back to a place that is more sustainable in the long term, then and we know something that works, which is education, then that's where we should put our focus. I think that's really going to be the, the best way. Like I said, with books, you know, you read about things all the time in books. Wow, I didn't know that. And your whole world, your perception changes, sometimes just from a paragraph or a sentence that you didn't know. And I think that's the thing. All we need to do is open a few more eyes, and then automatically the hands will follow. I love it and couldn't agree more. And I, and I think in a lot of ways that, Tanto is is one guy. I'm one guy. You you two are both just two people. And my mindset is that we're all sort of a piece of the puzzle. And how can we all bring value in our own way to this larger puzzle that we're trying to solve and just enable others, whether the opportunity to do something or just the a new mindset for them to now study engineering in some capacity in water or now get involved with the volunteering with a group like savior of the future i mean there's so many ways that you can put kindness and education and and thoughtfulness out in the world to make an impact on someone that you might not even know is making an impact but still that can be the biggest difference in one person's life to then go out and then help other people out in some capacity so i mean I, yeah I, you know yeah, we are we are like million miles, millions and millions of miles away from Cameroon. But the decision, <laughs> I know, I know. But the decisions we make, you know, we make just in the United States have far-reaching consequences than some people even imagine. Some of the policies and some of the um, our export of trash to African countries do pollute their water system. And I just want people to be aware that they can take um, action by reaching out to their legislators and saying, hey, this is a practice that is not sustainable and it's destroying lives. And and the concept of NIMBY, not in my backyard. If it's not in my backyard, it doesn't affect me, but it affects everybody. And we can't export our problems. We have to find common solutions to fixing our problems. Yeah, I think that's also why I, I love bringing people um, from different cultures together, introducing people from around the world, traveling, especially to students. Um, I feel like the NIMBY, 
but not in my backyard <laughs> happens a lot less when you know someone in that particular backyard then it's like oh that's happening in my friend's country you can no longer hear the news and say oh that thing is happening over there suddenly the over there becomes either a place you've been with people you love or someone that you know maybe your pen pal suddenly that place is real and it's not just this place in quotes there. utopia <laughs> you know it's not just over there yeah, it, yep. it becomes real and then you realize that the entire world is all of our backyards and that whole concept just goes away but that takes time and that takes human relationships so there's that aspect of my writing as well that's not just focused on the facts or the science or the activism but on the global friendships the true understandings global relationships and friendships well, I really appreciate that mindset, and that's something that is uh, that I, drives me every day about some of my friendships internationally, and and now with tra- the speed of travel and the speed of communication, someone in Cameroon could be your best friend that you talk to every day. You may not see them physically, but we have Skype and we have video chat and WhatsApp, and it's it becomes more personal when you actually have a relationship with someone over there. And I think that's really important to to know that the whole not in my backyard connotation is sort of bogus now because it really the whole world is our backyard and in in my mindset of invasive species in risk in great lakes and runoff in great lakes is just as important as permaculture projects in cameroon and everything in between are all different water stories that are important and require education they require insight they require talking and it requires mobilization of people to to do something because unfortunately if we don't do something then we might be at that point of no return to where we're just going to be like living in the matrix and be all robots, like just being mm-hmm. scarabs. The world's going to come to an end in some capacity. But now we have the opportunity to do something and, and reverse some of these the degradative practices that have happened from whether it's plastic bags or kind of wasteful habits. But I think through some of your educational mindset and some of your experiences and what you've done, it's a great foundation to use as a springboard to educate. And I think the education point is so important and something that I will continue to advocate within the responsible network and want to continue to make connections for you. And hopefully that responsible would like to create more educational podcasts with you. And maybe we can get more in depth about specific topics, uh, whether than doing a specific on Farmatanto or specific on permaculture. And I think that's something that you've, you've done a great job on. And, and myself and my whole community really appreciates that. And we'd hope that we can do some more of this educational style content in the future. Yeah, Farmer Tanto always has lots of quotes, proverbs, (laughs) that he would probably want to end this with. But uh, one thing that he says quite frequently, and he believes it with all of his heart, is that you're never too small or insignificant to contribute to the long-term sustainability of our planet. Just by doing the best you can, to the best of your ability, you're improving our world. That's what he says, and he says it in our video that's on YouTube. He says it every day. He says it all the time, and you can you can hear it right from his lips on YouTube in the video called Meet Farmer Tonto, Grassroots Environmentalist from Cameroon. I love that, and that's true. We and There's another Gandhi quote. If you think you're too small to make an impact, try sleeping with a mosquito. And it's true. I mean, something <laughs> as small as a mosquito can, can have maybe pretty big impacts, whether it's for good or bad. But it's true. We all can make an impact in this world, whether we like to believe it or not. And I know it's you read the news and it's easy to get discouraged and it's easy to give up. But one person really can make a difference. And if anything, you can make a difference to someone else who then makes a bigger impact. So I, I couldn't agree more with both of you and Farmer Tonto. And, and, and you, you mentioned the, earl, the email earlier about uh, Judy Cooper. But 
and I'll and I'll put the link to the video. But if they want, if someone wants to get a hold of you or learn more about you and your books, uh, what's the best way for them to to do that? Yeah, our websites are pretty easy: MirandaPaul.com or BaptistePaul.net. Pretty easy. We both have a contact me page. You can get right to us on the contact me pages. We're not hiding. We're both on Twitter. We're, we're on Facebook. Um, we're all around because we do believe in sharing our knowledge and engaging with people. Uh, we try not to be the, the untouchable authors. Um, we really love hearing from people who are reading the books, sharing them with their classrooms or from people who want to take action. I mean, there's a woman, her name's Kathleen Zeitler. She lives right here in Green Bay, and she heard Tonto speak, wanted to help, donated $1,000, and thousands of people have water, clean water, some of them for the first time, because she felt moved by just hearing these stories Sorry, yeah. and about the work. And I think that everybody will play a different role, um, and that's great because we all need to do different things and we have different skills but we're working toward that same goal whatever our steps or our role is that's fantastic well i will put those notes in in our in our show notes and on, and, and push that out so we'll we'll get this out in a few weeks and just wanted to thank you very much for the opportunity to speak with you here today you both have a fantastic wonderful story and are truly an inspiration to us all and like you said, hopefully we're all kind of doing our small part to make a difference in the lives of others. Mm -hmm. Thank you so much Thank for you. all you do as well. Kevin. Thank you. Thank, Thank you. you.